Good morning and happy Sabbath. It is the pleasure of the Allah of the family. I'm representing everybody in the family this morning to welcome you to church today online. We are grateful to God for the privilege and this opportunity to worship Him even in these times. We'd like to share a quick word with you. It says in John 8 verse 36, actually from 35, it says a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I'd like you to know this word because in, in these times that we live in, we can sometimes be slaves to fear, we can be slaves to different challenges, but the Bible has promised us that whoever the son sets free is free indeed. And we believe by faith that we are God's children, sons and daughters of God. So please, I want you as you go into the next week, even as you worship with us today, to remember that you are free in Jesus Christ's name. Be blessed in Jesus' name and welcome to worship. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for watching over us overnight. We thank you for this new day. We thank you for the Sabbath day. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship you, to seek you, and to find connection with brothers and sisters. We ask, dear God, that as we as we offer you our hearts and our worship, our thanksgiving and our praise this morning, that you may find these offerings acceptable unto you. We invite your spirit into each home represented on this call. We invite your spirit into each heart. We ask, dear God, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds for the glory of your name. Move us closer to you through our worship this morning. All glory and praise to your holy name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Sabbath. The Bible reading will be taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. And it reads, Then he went out again by the sea. And all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, Follow me. So he arose and followed him. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his holy word. At this time, may we reverently bow our heads for prayer. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless your holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of your benefits, who pardons all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases, who has redeemed our lives from hell. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. When we consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of us, or humans that you even care for us? Yet you have made us a little lower than the angels and have crowned us with glory and honor. Truly, Lord, your name is majestic in all the earth. Father, we, your children, come humbly before you, praising and exalting your holy name, knowing that there is no other God but you. We praise you because you alone are omnisapient, and there is none wiser than you. We bask in your omnipresence, for you are everywhere always and have promised to never leave us. We trust your omniscience because nothing is unknown or hidden from you, Lord. We stand in your omnipotence for who can come against your all-encompassing power. So Father, accept our praise, accept our worship, accept our adoration in Jesus' name. At this time, we confess that although you've always remained faithful to us, God, so often we have been faithless to you, forgive us. In our words, and our actions, down to our very thoughts and intentions, we have failed you, God. Sinned against you and fallen short of your glory. Have mercy upon us, Father. Your word promises that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this morning, we confess our sins both collectively and individually. Our sins of commission, our sins of omission, those committed with the darkest motives, as well as those done with the best of intentions. Teach us your ways, O Lord, that we may live according to your truth. Keep us faithful so that our lives will honor you. 
Remove our sins from us and remember them no more. So Father, we tarry in your presence a little longer, thanking you for your faithfulness towards us. Your steadfast love never ceases. Your love never comes to an end. Your blessings are new every morning and we thank you, God, for your goodness. We thank you that despite what is happening around us, you have charged your angels to keep us in all our ways so that even our very feet will not be dashed by the stones of this life. We thank you because it is only with our eyes that we have seen the destruction and the pestilence raging, but you have kept it from our dwelling. We thank you because you alone have been our Jehovah Jireh, our Jehovah Rophe, our Jehovah Shalom. You provide all of our needs, you heal our diseases, and you give us peace even in the midst of the storm. Accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Father, though our needs are even more, though you know our needs even more than we ourselves do, we ask that you, you ask that we would still come to you. So Father, we come to you and we cast our cares and our worries before you, making our requests known to you. We come as our needs are different, just as our faces and our circumstances, and we leave our requests at your feet. So Father, we pray for healing for our bodies, for our minds, for our spirits. We pray for provision for those in need and protection for those on the front lines. We remember our families, our loved ones, our children, Father, and our unspoken requests. Lord, those requests that keep us up at night, Father, that cause our tears to wet our pillows. You know them all. Do for us, Father, what we cannot do for ourselves, exceedingly abundantly above anything that we could ever ask, think, or imagine. What was meant for our evil and our downfall, turn it around for our blessing, Father. Turn our test into our testimony and our demotion into a promotion. And when it is all said and done, God, may we be careful to give you and you alone the honor, the glory, and the praise that is due your name. Father, whatever I've failed to ask, I pray, Lord, that you would fail not to grant. Most importantly, Lord, when all is said and done and time is no more, may you save us in your everlasting kingdom May, when we will join our voices with those of the angel choirs worshiping you throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. May this be our portion, Lord. May this be our end, because I have asked and prayed in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Happy Sabbath, saints of God. I trust that everyone is doing well today. Uh, I have the privilege of... Uh, introducing our, our guest speaker. He's somebody I've known for a long time. I, I must confess I hadn't spoken to him in a, in a little bit before uh, uh, the last week or two. Uh, we used to live in the good old state of Indiana many moons ago, and uh, we moved to Georgia. And uh, he and his family with his wife, Eden, I don't see Matthew, but I'm sure he's somewhere close by. They, they now live in British Columbia. Um, in Canada, so when he said up north, that's where he was referring to. When I asked him, you know, how he would like me to introduce him, as is his way, he didn't give me much, but he just said he's a, a pastor of Rich, Richmond SDA Church since 2015. And some of us might say that face looks familiar. And so you're going to indulge me today because I think uh, when things like this happen, it's important for us to note them. He might have forgotten this particular detail, but Pastor Aaron Sikosana, seven years ago, exactly to this week, conducted the first week of prayer for the Nigerian Seventh-day Adventist Church of Atlanta. He conducted our very first week of prayer. In fact, Many of the things we do today, like the morning prayer and a lot of those things we do, were as a result of that very first week of prayer that he conducted here in Atlanta. You may not remember it, but when I, when he, when, uh, I, I remember that he conducted the week of prayer, but I was uncertain of the time. So I went into my emails and I was surprised and shocked and recognized that it was only God who could have arranged it to work out this way, that seven years exactly to the week, we would have the same pastor who did a week of prayer. And as I was going through my emails, I asked myself, I wonder what we prayed about at that time. So let me share with us some of the things we prayed about at that time, because I think it's important for us to recognize how God has worked. And it is a maybe unfortunate that we did not tell, and I'll take responsibility for this, that we did not go back to Pastor Aaron and share with him three of the major things we prayed for at that time. 
was that we would find a new place of worship. Do we have our own place of worship now? Yes, we do. We prayed at that time that we would have Bible studies and baptisms in our church. Has that occurred in our church? Yes, it has. But this was the thing that stood out to me at the most, was that we prayed, and we, we prayed at that time that our own sister, Regina Ogunsami, would have her transplant at that time. Has that not happened? It has. And many other things have happened since then. So, you know, it is, it is my honor, and I just want to glorify and praise God uh, for, for bring, uh, keeping us all into this time and allowing Pastor Aaron to visit with us again after uh, seven years exactly to the week. It is only God who could orchestrate something like this and not man, to be honest with you. So we're glad to have him. The next voice, voice we'll, be, we'll hear, <clears throat> excuse me, is that of Pastor Aaron Sikosana. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God indeed. Um, I want to thank uh, Ebenezer for that uh, very uh, kind and generous uh, introduction. Um, and uh, I was struck by um, some of the observations he made there. Um, I have my wife with me here. Uh, we're pleased to join you for worship this morning. I wasn't aware it was seven years ago, um, um, but I, I, there's something, some memories that I remember from uh, my time with you now seven years ago. Um, I remember you singing, uh, that you sing with passion and with heart. Uh, the evening services, the worship services were always filled with such uh, 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 powerful singing. I remember that. I, I remember the warmth of your fellowship. Uh, we had a, um, an afternoon potluck, a potluck uh, at one of your members' homes. Uh, uh, the last Sabbath that uh, I was there and... Um, I remember it being uh, vibrant and warm. Um, and I took away from that experience just, just this sense of uh, um, a warm, healthy community. I, I pray that that is your experience uh, and that God has been good to you in the intervening seven years. Um, one of the things that uh, can be, we, we, we can be encouraged by at this time is just um, that, that everyone who makes it into the kingdom, as I was reading here in Patriarchs and Prophets uh, and Story of Redemption, everybody who makes it into the kingdom will have a crown and stars on their crowns. Amen. And Ellen White explains and says, the stars represent souls won into the kingdom. Um, some of us, when we hear that, might look around and say, my goodness, I haven't brought anyone into the church. And yet we find that for everyone who is baptized into the kingdom, into the church and brought into the kingdom, there are so many influences, contributing influences. Uh, a really good illustration is just this phenomenon that we're now all familiar with, the phenomenon of contact tracing where once one is diagnosed with uh, COVID, they trace who they've been in touch with. And sometimes you find they've been in touch with multiple people, 25 people, whatever it is, in the small, in the space of a uh, very short period of time. Um, and they go to those people and they try to figure out if any one of those is also infected. If, if you think about spirituality in the same way, that we pass on our faith. We, faith is infectious, it's, it's, in, it's contagious. Um, that when I make contact with you, I pass on uh, some form, in some form, my faith. Um, and we don't know where seven years later, where that leads, those influences, where those influences lead to. And yet, when we contribute, we'll find ourselves in the kingdom of heaven. And when God gives us a crown full of stars and we don't know who we help to bring into the kingdom, God will be able to contact Trace uh, and to show how our influences worked to bring someone into the kingdom. And so 
I thank you for the experience that I had with you seven years ago. Um, it has, uh, I'm sure, in many ways, obvious and, un and not so obvious, contributed to, to my uh, spiritual uh, growth and well-being. I pray that uh, the same is true on your side as well. This morning, um, we meet in very unusual circumstances, do we not? Um, I'm going to prepare, yeah, I'm going to prepare um, to share a message on discipleship, but before I do that, I just want to point out that uh, we meet under very unusual circumstances, don't you think? Um, who would have known when we celebrated, when we rang in the new year a few short months ago, uh, that the uh, uh, situations would develop as they have. Um, while I'm speaking with you here, I'm working to um, get my PowerPoint uh, set up. And so uh, forgive me if I uh, switch off my video for a minute uh, while my uh, IT department helps out over here. Uh, I'll continue to speak while he helps to set that up. Um, who would have known when we planned the new year that a few short months later, things would be where they are today? Um, men plan, God overrules. Uh, this is just the reality of our affairs. Men plan and God overrules. Um, and while it's tragic, the amount of uh, loss and deaths uh, that are currently being experienced. Um, I'm encouraged to know that even in the midst of all this distress, God is able to bring out something good. Um, just this week, I got a call from um, a young woman who said she's wanting to understand the book of Revelation better. She's on to understand end times better. And she heard that the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, had had something to offer there. And she reached out to me out of the blue and said, uh, could I have uh, contact with your church and perhaps some Bible studies if possible. Men's hearts are failing them for fear and they're looking to find something firm to hold on to. This is encouraging. God can bring good out of bad. Another good thing perhaps that we can note about this pandemic, um, this in spite of and despite, but aside from the, um, the, the loss and the death and the sickness, uh, quite aside from all of that, perhaps on the lighter side, a positive that comes out of this situation is some of us may, may have something we can tell our grandchildren. We may not have had uh, anything else to share with them, uh, but perhaps when our grandchildren arrive, we can share with them and say, hey, let me tell you about the 2019-2020 pandemic uh, and uh, how it scattered us and how we lived through it. This is my prayer, that God will continue to keep your congregation safe and healthy, that God will watch over your loved ones, and that God will see us through this difficult time. Our title this morning, Discipleship. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your grace as we come now to your word. We ask for your favor and for your grace. Please speak to our hearts and to our minds. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our title Discipleship, here are three things we're going to be looking at. What is discipleship? How do we become disciples? And why discipleship? Could the host please confirm that you're able to see my PowerPoint here? Yes. Thank you. What is discipleship? How do we become disciples? And why discipleship? 
We'll begin with uh, our key text uh, read so well for us from the book of Mark. Allow me to read it once more. Mark chapter 2, I'll read from, verses, from verse 13 to verse 16. Please pay attention to the reading of his word. Listen to what this passage says. Verse 13, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I want you to take note of what the scripture says. Uh, it shows Jesus interacting with, uh, quote-unquote, sinners, yes. Uh, it shows Jesus on the move in his ministry, yes. But it also shows us, um, introduces us to a couple of concepts that I want us to expand on here this morning. It says, verse 15, to read it again, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And so what the scripture is pointing out here is among the number of those who followed Jesus were counted many tax collectors and sinners. And they had a representative sa sample in Levi's house. And so there were the disciples and then there were those who followed Jesus. In the category of those who followed Jesus were included tax collectors and sinners. Take note of that. Let's read our second passage, Matthew chapter 13. And this need not be a um, solo discourse. If you have a pressing question, if I anything I say or read triggers an urgent question you'd like to bring forth, I, uh, I invite you to uh, step right in and let me know. Uh, I'll try to create uh, room for that. But let's read our next scripture, Matthew chapter 14. I'll read verses 13 to 15. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large, large crowd he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Here's our next point for our consideration is, again, we meet a group that's described as Jesus' disciples. We assume we know who those people were. That may not be in fact be the case, but there were the disciples and then you have the large crowd that follows Jesus. Uh, reiterates what we read in the book of Mark. Let's read another scripture and then we'll try to clarify the point that is being brought up in, this, in these passages. Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples. Again, that categorization uh, of the people around Jesus, there is the crowd, and then there are disciples. There are those who follow Jesus, and then there are disciples. What, pray tell, does this mean? Here is my conclusion, having reviewed these verses, that every disciple is a follower of Jesus, but not every follower of Jesus is a disciple. Amen? I hope that is clear and that it shines through in the scriptures we've briefly read to this point. Every disciple is a follower. Not every follower is a disciple. There is a crowd and then they are disciples. Uh, the people in the crowd are followers of Jesus. 
but they are not disciples. One more scripture uh, to tie this point up uh, in a neat bow, perhaps. Uh, the book of Luke, chapter 6. Luke, chapter 6. I'll read here verses 12 to 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. Pay attention to the scripture. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he designated apostles. How many disciples did Jesus have? The easy answer is that he had 12 disciples. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13 proves that is not the case, was not the case. Notice what it says. He called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them and designated them apostles. Jesus had many more than 12 disciples. They, and so now we have three categories, three groups. We have the large crowd that follows Jesus. We have the disciples of Jesus. And now we have the 12 who are designated apostles. I hope you're following. Three groups. The large crowd the, the uh, disciples, and then the apostles from whom, uh, 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 who are selected from the group of Jesus' disciples. I want to use those three categories there of the people around Jesus to illustrate some points about discipleship. So, uh, we'll ask the question, what distinguishes disciples from followers? What indeed? What distinguishes disciples from followers? Let's read a few more verses here. Uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. I'll read verses 18 on. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a child, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Jesus meets this young man who is well set up in life. Uh, he is young, he is rich, he has faith. Uh, he has obeyed and lived by God's commandments since he was a young child. He comes to Christ and asks the question, what more do I need to do? When Jesus evaluates his situation, he says, here, here is what you need to do. Go sell what you have, and then come and follow me. Jesus is offering this young man an invitation to discipleship. Discipleship properly understood has to do with going beyond the basics. And so, take a look at what the basics are. The commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not uh, bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. The Ten Commandments, essentially. These, I would suggest to you, are requirements that are followed by the followers of Jesus. That if I don't commit adultery, if I don't lie, if I don't steal, if I follow the commandments of God, that puts me in the category of a follower of Jesus. Discipleship requires us to go beyond the basics. 
And in the, in, in the context, uh, in the situation of this young ruler, Jesus says, here's what you need to do to become a disciple, to follow me closely, is you need to dispose of your wealth and then come and follow me. And so point number one on discipleship uh, is this. Let us remember that discipleship requires us to go beyond the basics. Uh, let's flesh these points out further, shall we? Uh, let's go to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. I want to read um, Christ's uh, complete sermon on the mount. Uh, I think uh, it is a bit long. I think Jesus might have been a long preacher, if you've met one of those. Um, the Sermon on the Mount goes on quite a bit, uh, but we'll read here from Matthew chapter 5. I'll pick up from verse 38 and stop at a suitable place. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Here's a second element of discipleship. Discipleship requires, the, requires us to go the second mile. Following Jesus does not. If I am a follower of Jesus, it is enough for me that I am not hurting you, that I am not attacking you, that I am not murdering you. If I'm to be a disciple, it requires me to go uh, the second mile. Um, take a look at what all, how Oswald Chambers puts it. He says, the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount is not do your duty, but do what is not your duty. It is not your duty to go the second mile or to turn the other cheek. But Jesus says, if we are his disciples, we shall always be doing these things. Discipleship requires us to go beyond basics. Discipleship requires us to do what is not our duty. And so you can be a, a good, maybe even faithful follower of Jesus just observing the basics. But discipleship requires us to go beyond those, to do things that uh, don't extend or apply to those who consider themselves only as followers of Jesus. I trust your following. Let me show you three more examples of just this point. Uh, three more examples of just this point, uh, the book of Luke, chapter 9. I'll read from verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Christ is not offering these injunctions, these instructions, these directives, uh, these invitations to mere followers. He is inviting these men to discipleship. Uh, because when we talk about discipleship, we're talking not about a choice between good and bad. We're talking, in fact, about a choice between what is good and what is better. Uh, because if you take a look at the examples that come up here, it is good to have a home. Christ says, if you're going to follow me closely, it is good, it is better to, to, to forego that so you can be close to me. 
It is good to say farewell to your brothers and your sisters. It is better to follow what Christ is saying, even if it goes contrary to them. It is good to bury your dead. Christ says, uh, it is better to follow me immediately, so that if that duty would come in the way. Uh, and so we have here three would-be disciples, and the point of these stories is to illustrate that when it comes to discipleship, it is not a choice between smoking and not smoking. This is not discipleship. This is following Jesus. It is not a choice between uh, sexual sin or purity. These are uh, functions of following Jesus. Discipleship goes to those things that would ordinarily be okay, be good, even healthy for us. Discipleship requires us then to give up those things. This is discipleship. Following Jesus requires us to give up bad things. Becoming disciples requires us to give up even some good things. Are you following? I hope you are. Um, and so there's a struggle here between good versus better. Discipleship is reaching for what is better. Let me give you an easy example. Sleep is good. Is it not? I hope I can get an affirmation there um, from those who appreciate their sleep. Yes. Sleep is good. Amen, indeed. Indeed. Thank you. Um, God doesn't ask his followers to deny themselves, to deprive themselves of sleep. Because sleep is good and healthy and positive. But when you wake up in the morning, uh, you cut your sleep short by an hour, by an hour and a half, by two hours, so that you can pray and have time with God. That is better. Sleep is good. Time with God is better. Uh, so sleep away. You can sleep and be a follower of Jesus. Uh, but when you sacrifice that thing that is good in order to reach for something that is better, that is discipleship. That is discipleship. Here is a way to assess where you are as a disciple of Christ. Is In the course of your day, as you live, live your day, as you go through your day, how many of your choices and actions are painful, uncomfortable, difficult? How much sacrifice is there in your life day to day? Because discipleship requires us to give up things that are painful, that are uncomfortable, that don't come naturally to us. This is discipleship. And so if I go through my day and there isn't a point where either at my meal time or at my waking up time or at my bedtime or throughout the day, there isn't a time where I've done anything that is contrary to my nature. Perhaps I need to reevaluate where I am as a disciple. Because discipleship comes into play when it, when, when it, when it comes to what I put on my plate. There are things I have given up because I want to be a disciple. If I satisfy my palate every which way it wishes to go, I need to evaluate whether I am a disciple or whether I am a follower. It is easy to be a follower. It is hard to be a disciple. Discipleship costs you something. What has discipleship cost you today? Perhaps another way to put it. Followers of Jesus show up at church, whether it's on Sabbath or Sunday, or on Zoom. Followers of Jesus show up to church once a week for Sabbath services or for Sunday services, as the case might be. This is not discipleship. It is following Jesus. Discipleship is measured by your conduct when it comes to your relationship with God when you're at home during the week. And so you could say, I gave up my morning to go and worship God Sabbath morning. Praise the Lord. This, this, is, this is similar to those crowds that followed Jesus on foot 
pursued him wherever he was. They gave up something, but they were still part of a larger crowd. They were followers. Discipleship requires us to give something up during the rest of the week. What am I giving up? This is the question. And so this was the first segment of our presentation here. Uh, in it, I was speaking about uh, trying to break down what discipleship is. And what's clear from the testimony of the scriptures is that discipleship requires us to set ourselves apart from the crowd. If I'm doing what everybody else is doing, even if it is within the Christian group, I need to evaluate to be careful that I'm not part of a crowd of followers of Jesus, which is not bad. It's not bad. We wish everybody in the world were followers of Jesus, but God wants us to wants to invite us to a deeper experience with him. And so he says, it is fine for you to be a follower, but hey, I want you to come up higher. I want you to be a disciple. This is discipleship. Okay, let's take a look at the second question here. How do we become disciples? And I'll reiterate here a point that I've made to this point in my presentation, that the road to discipleship passes through the straits of obedience. But the difference between disciples and non-disciples and followers isn't that disciples have more faith. It is that they are willing to obey more readily. What distinguishes disciples and followers isn't faith on one hand or the lack of it on the other. Rather, it is the willingness to obey. When God reveals something to you, do you obey? If you take one of the famous stories of the Old Testament, the story of Jonah, when he's called to go and preach to a nation he despises, this is not an issue of salvation. It is an issue of discipleship. When God reveals something to you and he convicts you to do something, uh, if I flee away from it, uh, this is a problem. Uh, but the story of Jonah illustrates the struggle of discipleship obeying God, not on a moral point, not on a point of the Ten Commandments, obeying God on a point of conviction. This is what discipleship is about, is obedience. Here's a takeaway from this segment of my presentation. Faith is a byproduct of obedience, not the cause of it. And so I said a moment ago that the thing that distinguishes um, disciples from followers isn't faith, it is obedience. But as we obey God, we, uh, our faith is strengthened and developed and expanded and deepened and broadened. Mm -hmm. And so you find that those who are disciples end up having more faith than those who are followers, but they are not disciples because of their faith. They are disciples because of their obedience. Their obedience generates and triggers and uh, invigorates their faith. Does this make sense? Uh, faith is a byproduct. And so with the rich young ruler, when Jesus invites him to give up his wealth, if he had obeyed, that would have strengthened his faith. Uh, and so he remains a follower when Christ is inviting him to a deeper experience. Are you a disciple this morning? Or are you a follower? I hope it's the latter. If it is the latter, we'll be able to look at our daily interactions and behaviors and be able to point to things that hurt, things that are painful, things that are uncomfortable, things we have given up because we are disciples. And if I have a hard time pointing to things I've given up, things that are uncomfortable in my day-to-day -day living, then perhaps I need to assess which group I'm in here. Faith is a product of obedience.
Okay, here's the final segment um, of our presentation. Um, this is a shorter, shorter segment, and so I'll finish up on this segment and then um, I'll hold the space open for any questions, observations that uh, you might have, my brothers and sisters. So, having learned all of these things, the question is why we should seek to be disciples. And my response to that is that discipleship is about proximity. If we go back to all the passages we read, you had the large crowd following Jesus, and then you had Christ's disciples who were closer to him. A proximity for them was both physical and spiritual. Um, in our time, discipleship is the invitation that God extends to us to come closer to him. And so if you go back to the Gospels, there were three groups. There was a large group of followers, and then there was a smaller group of disciples, more than 12. And then you had the 12 apostles, those who were closest to Jesus. Even among the 12 apostles, you had two or three who were closer to Jesus than anybody else. Discipleship is God's invitation to draw nearer, to come closer. And so you could be satisfied with following Jesus from a distance. The thing is that he is not satisfied with you following him from a distance because he recognizes if we follow him from a distance, it is easy for us to lose him. Discipleship is an invitation to come closer, to draw nearer. But sometimes we love our dietary habits too much to give up anything, even though what God is asking us to do when he asks us to give up some things is to come closer. And sometimes we love our sleep too much. We don't know that what we're giving up is the opportunity to draw closer. And I could take that illustration applied a hundred different ways here, but much more effective to allow the Holy Spirit to point you to those areas that you need to consider. What are you giving up when you refuse to submit in obedience to the convictions of God's spirit on your heart? And so uh, properly understood, and we in the uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church are guilty of uh, misrepresenting and misunderstanding things on this point, properly understood, health reform is an issue of discipleship, not salvation. That bears repeating. Issues of health reform have to do with discipleship, not salvation. It is an invitation to draw closer by giving up those things that perhaps interfere with our emotional, spiritual, psychological, mental clarity. It is an invitation to draw closer. Here's the question. Can issues of discipleship become issues of self, can interfere with my salvation? Sure. Again, to go back to the story of Jonah, he is so upset with God that his relationship with him is, 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 is shaking as a result of his anger. It could have been broken. We don't believe it was. Um, but issues of discipleship can become issues of salvation if we are stubborn in resisting submission. But let us be clear. When we present issues of uh, tithing or issues of diet, issues of dress, issues of etc. Name the field, issues of uh, uh, the music we listen to, the entertainment we expose ourselves to. It is not about salvation, it is about discipleship. But determined opposition, determined refusal to submit in obedience to issues of salvation can become problems when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, yes. 
And so we've talked about three things here this morning, brothers and sisters. What is discipleship? Uh, discipleship as presented in the gospel is that process of drawing closer to Jesus by sacrificing whatever it is he sees as interfering with your ability to draw close to him. For the rich young ruler, it was his wealth. It wasn't wealth for Abraham. God blesses him, makes him wealthy. But Christ identifies wealth as an issue, as an impediment to the rich young, young man's ability to draw close. And so he says, give it up. For all of us, it is different things. The key thing is for us to listen to God's spirit as we study, as we reflect, as we worship, to listen to God's spirit. What's God convicting me about in my life? And if he's convicting you about it, to give it up because the invitation is to closeness. So we've spoken here this morning about what discipleship is, how we become disciples. We become disciples by being willing to pay the price of whatever issue it is God is inviting us to give up. Why? Because closeness to Jesus is better than anything else. Time with Jesus is better than an hour of sweet sleep, as good as that is. What is God asking you to give up this morning? Don't think of it as a pain. Don't think of it as a loss. Think of it as an exchange for something that perhaps is good in exchange for something that is better. This is what discipleship is about. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word um, that still speaks to us double-edged sword that doesn't return to you empty. And so as your word has gone out in our hearing this morning, I pray that you would apply these thoughts, these insights on each heart, and that you might soften our hearts and invite in us the uh, willingness, create in us the willingness to give up those things you're convicting us to give up. Thank you for the faithfulness of the Naka congregation. Thank you for watching over them the last seven years since I met with them. Thank you for blessing them with security and stability. Thank you for blessing them with numerical as well as spiritual growth, I trust. Please continue to watch over them in these troubled times. May our faith, may their faith continue to shine through and to hold on to you with a firm grip that cannot be shaken no matter what is going on around us. Dismiss us now with your blessing. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.